Hello, and welcome to The Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. If you spent any time on social media these past few weeks and follow at least one queer person, you've probably seen a gif of the Showtime limited series Fellow Travelers, starring my guest today, Matt Bomer. Part historical thriller about the Lavender Scare, the systemic outing and dismissal of LGBTQ plus federal government workers in the mid-20th century, and part steamy queer love story, Fellow Travelers tells the story of the romance between Hawkins Hawk Fuller, played by Matt Bomer, and Tim Skippy Laughlin, played by Jonathan Bailey. Oh, and that steamy love story that I mentioned, that's what all the gifts on social media are about. So like, <laughs> the more you know, right? <laughs> Ooh. Anyway, I was eager to chat with Matt about the series because it's quite literally what the internet is talking about right now. Also, Matt was the first actor I was able to talk with after the Screen Actors Guild strike ended. So we both were very excitable and happy to talk. Speaking of excitable, I gotta confess something. I've spoken with a lot of people who are, you know, movie star attractive. But when Matt logged on to our Zoom and had that wavy hair, and he met me with those eyes that are just kind of hypnotic, I was literally like, oh wow, you are a movie star. Now, usually when I encounter a pretty person like Matt, I can find something not to like about them because it's not fair for them to be nice and gorgeous. You know what I mean? Well. It turns out Matt is both gorgeous and nice, and I, I I tried to be pissed about it, but he's just too nice for me to be pissed. Like, I can't even hate him. It's, ugh, he's too good. Life is hard, y'all. But seriously, Matt was a delight to chat with, and I know you're just going to love our conversation. And not only should you watch him on Showtime's Fellow Travelers, and you should do it over the Thanksgiving weekend if you're listening to this right now, because it's a great show to watch and catch up on. But you should also check him out in Bradley Cooper's hotly anticipated film, Maestro, about Leonard Bernstein. It is going to be a great film. Honestly, it's the buzz of Oscar season. So, like, also go, if you're in one of the cities that you can see Maestro, go check that out, too. But guess what? We talked about all of it. So you're in for a great chat today. Go on and grab a snack because I will be right back with Matt Bomer. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It's so nice to meet you, I have to say, first nice off. Nice to meet you too. I've enjoyed your work for so yeah. long. I also oh have to God. tell you that I casually polled my friends here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. about maybe just things. I, we're all watching fellow travelers, so I was like, I'll ask oh, everyone wow. you know, what I should ask him. And universally, from some very famous drag queens on Drag Race to some very famous <laughs> podcasters, all of them said, will he marry me? So that, that was the... 
that was the general, you know, question. So I figured you would you would appreciate to hear that. Well, I am honored. I have to say, I'm completely honored by that question. Um, it's not work related, but still, it's, it's an not honor. work related. But I'm I'm flattered and honored by that question. That's the other thing I noticed too. So you follow one of my one of my best friends, Danny Pellegrino, who hosts Everything yes. Iconic, and I think yes. you should. I mean, you're you're doing this podcast first, which I think is important, but you should do his podcast someday next because you two together would be perfect i would love that yeah that should happen yeah i listen i can i tell you i get so excited about doing podcasts oh really because it's it's long form yeah you know there's nothing worse than having um, nothing worse i shouldn't say that i better better, (laughs) let's go ahead and just rewind that that was never said no but you don't want to just go on and give some canned story in yeah. a three minute segment and yeah. you know yeah you want it to be alive and present in a conversation hopefully yeah. i mean you want it to be casual take it back to the mike douglas days Come right on. i know i mean see i want to go back to the rosie o'donnell days those are the days that i want on television you and mm-hmm. you if you were on rosie o'donnell show back in the 90s i mean you would have been a child but still that would have been great <laughs> i watched it though I, mean, I wanted to shoot that koosh ball yeah i have a koosh ball over there actually <laughs> and i even have oh wait look at this i even have a rosie o'donnell doll there you go. Oh my God. Wow. Yes, I know. I am obsessed with Rosie O'Donnell and I just got that. Anyway, I, I've met her brother and spent time with her brother. I like him a lot. Great politician in, in, in New York, right? The politician. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's great. Anyway, this isn't about Rosie O'Donnell. We could talk about her yes. if you want to, but we should talk about fellow travelers <laughs> a little bit. Okay. Let's do that. Uh, let's do that. First off, I do have to ask you, how does it feel to be back being able to talk about your work again? I mean, it's wonderful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to the union for for getting the terms they got and, and, and setting this, you know, getting this unprecedented deal that benefits everyone in the union. But um, I have to say, it's been kind of nice to just let the work be out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's been something really nice about that. I think there are so many aspects of this show that obviously not from a journalist like yourself, but if you're, if you're doing a junket day or something and having to roll from interview to interview, you might get asked some questions that could lead to, yeah, you know, that might seem a little inane or reductive about the material. And mm-hmm. I think it was kind of nice to be able to dodge that yeah. and just let the work be out there. You know, you always fear, God, are people going to, know about it or be able to see it. And um, I think that's a legitimate concern, but it was such an extraordinary privilege to get to work on this piece. I still can't believe that it was able to be made. Yeah. It's kind of, I, it's kind of shocking. I have to admit I'm, and I'm loving it. It's shocking that it's out there. Yeah. That in and of itself was such a gift to me Yeah, uh, that I didn't, I was actually okay with, the work just being out there. Well, yeah. And also too, I mean, you and Jonathan Bailey leading a project, I feel like people are going to watch. So like, you don't have to worry about people not tuning in. (laughs) Oh, I know. know. Trust me. I know. I do this. I know (laughs) we will watch this, (laughs) but I do. But I think you're right in that. Like there was something special about a show like this. I mean, just as a queer person, I'm going to, we I'm used to in my childhood, at least remember like scourging, trying to find anything sort of queer content on TV or the hint of it on like Oz, which that's a whole other topic of conversation, but like there's, but there's like other things that I would look for, you know what I mean? And, and this not having the promotion vehicle behind it kind of in a weird way, I think, and I hope that a little queer, like young college kid probably just discovered this because he saw some meme of you and Jonathan Bailey doing something. And he was like, I got to go watch that show and then learn something, learn something yeah. about queer history in a way, which that leads me to what I wanted to know what 
what to you was so important about doing this, considering all of that? It felt so unprecedented to me in so many ways, um, both in terms of the content um, and and how this relationship was being told. I didn't. I felt like I, had, I hadn't really seen anything like that before. Um, I thought it captured certain queer dynamics in a way that I had I hadn't seen, and it was massively educational to me. I think I'd I'd heard Pete Buttigieg speak about the lavender scare once on a talk show years yeah. ago. But I knew nothing about it mm. and how it was influencing people working in government at the time. And uh, so it was really informative. And I just thought, gosh, uh, and obviously the character and the, and the roles in the piece, it was, you know, mm-hmm. it was just an incredible gift, truly. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I, I was very cynical. Really? Just having been on television for 23 years, yeah. longer if you count regional commercials. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can count them. I, <laughs> okay, I didn't say 25 then. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought, are, are people going to invest yeah. in a four-decade gay queer love story, multiple queer love stories? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was so blown away by... Uh, the engagement and the investment from the Showtime executives, mm-hmm. uh, the Fremantle folks I had worked with before Dante DeLoretto on uh, Normal Heart, mm-hmm. but uh, Dave Binninger and Jeff Steer, Amy Israel, all these people at Showtime just really got behind the show and Ron's work. And uh, I thought, oh my gosh, is this, is this really going to happen? Yeah. And I kept thinking, no, no. It, but it was one of those jobs that, and I don't mean to sound metaphysical or, or, or you know, um, esoteric, but it, it just felt like something was pushing it forward. Yeah. And yeah. when that happens in, you should always know this as an actor, but when that happens, especially you just know that the piece is, is much bigger than you yeah. and you're just there to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, that could have just been Ron nice one or his willpower because this was his baby and he was determined mm-hmm. to get it made no matter what. So, um, well, and I also think too, Showtime. I mean, the particular, the uniqueness of it being on show. I'm not, I'm not usually one to praise a corporate company, but Showtime being the forebear of what brought us queer as folk, and now coming from queer as folk, all the and the L word, and so much sort of L-word. very, very much in your face queer content. It's not sugar coated. <clears throat> it's not. I mean, I loved like Modern Family and stuff, but it's not just supporting characters. It is mm-hmm. lead characters doing queer stuff in a queer way, and. Yeah. I think it's really important that we recognize Showtime for sort of putting that out there, but also yeah. too where we've gone from. I mean, Queer as Folk was great, but like now this is really showing history in a way. It's showing mm-hmm. our history that we don't see it from a queer angle. We don't see it from a queer person of color angle. We don't see it from any of these angles that this show is doing it for us. So I wanted mm-hmm. to know what about the historical element and what about that story do you think, A, in telling the story impacts how we look at modern queer rights movement, how this, how fellow mm-hmm. travelers tells us where we are now, but also just what you think about what it's doing for teaching people about queer history? Well, I mean, those are two very different questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really important to go, we're not taught these things in school. Yeah. You know, no one's going to teach us. Mm-hmm. We have to educate ourselves if we want to know what our history is. And um, I think it's important to look back 
at our country's history. And it's, we know it's happening. I'm not saying we need to look back in shame or anything like that, but to acknowledge that there were times we let our fears get the better of us. Mm-hmm. That we thought that certain people were better or more deserving than others. Mm-hmm. It's important to look back and see that because you don't have to look very far. I'm not going to make an overly political statement, but you really don't have to look far in this day and age to see that we're right on the precipice of being back there. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that the story was informative and educational, but also oddly very timely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And what, I mean, what sort of casual response have you gotten to just people watching the show from queer people in particular? It's so funny because I've been in my own little bubble yeah. um, because of the strike. Yeah. And other than loved ones and close friends who had watched and, and reached out, um, I had an event last week right after the strike ended. And it was the first time I had face to face contact with people, queer people who I don't interact with on a daily basis, yeah. basis responding to the show. And it was just so nice to hear. I, I was really taken aback. I have to be honest with you. I didn't, I almost didn't know what to say at first because I had been in my little privatized world of, well, the work's just out there and it is what it is. Yeah, definitely. Well, one of the things that I think, one of the conversations that I've been having about the show and that I think every queer person that I know has been having about the show is how steamy it is. I mean, it's important. The steaminess is important to the story. And I think it's actually important to even just be shown on television because like I remember growing up, all we saw lots of straight sex scenes. I never saw any queer sex scenes until I was probably a teenager. And so mm. it, it, it's kind of revolutionary in a way to see these scenes on a television show. That's also sort of telling me a lot about my history. I, I want to mm. know what your thoughts are on the importance of the sexuality of the story. Well, to me, there's such an ex- external physical manifestation of everything that's going on internally with the characters Mm -hmm. psychologically given experiences they've had in their lives and they just happen to be really complementary of each other Mm -hmm. and they are an exploration of the power dynamics between the two of them but it's it's more than that yeah hawk is who he is in the sexual relationship because of traumatic experiences that have happened to him Mm -hmm between war, between his dad walking in on him with his kind of rosebud, Kenny, his first lover, and and vowing to himself that he'd never be on his knees again for anybody, that he would be, he would win, he would survive, and he'd win, and he'd be in control. And then you have Skippy, I don't want to speak on behalf of Jonathan, who just gives himself over completely. So to me, they were really these beautiful outward manifestations of their internal experience. Mm -hmm. And the relationship is always different after one of their scenes than it was before. Yeah. Um, oddly, even though it's a dynamic that I had never really seen on screen before, it brings them closer each time. Yeah, it really does. And it, there's something, I think I relate to your character more because I mean, I was raised Mormon, I'm Jewish now, but I, so I didn't have, mm. I didn't have like a strict religious upbringing, but there was that there. And there was this sort of like internalized shame in sort of the queerness. Of and I, I wanted to know sort of what you related to about this character. How did you find him? And were there any struggles to sort of like figuring out how you were going to portray him? So, I, I mean, I did grow up in a very conservative Christian home. Um, and for me, the, the stakes of, of maintaining a certain identity were life and death when I was in high school wow. for me in my mind at the time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I had to bifurcate and create a persona that allowed me to survive and attempt to thrive in high school. And I'm yeah. fretting that lights Texas down. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and then, so I related to that aspect of the character. We did have very different you know, nervous systems. What was so fun for me is that, I don't know, for, I always kind of got by trying to be the good boy. And Hawk gets to be the bad boy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had my bad boy moments too, <laughs> but they were, they were yeah. well hidden. Yeah. Um, whereas Hawk, you know, it was so interesting. You know, when you're playing a character, you're always looking for the shadow of the character, the part they hide. He sort of leads with the part that most characters hide. And the hidden parts of him are really the more loving parts. That's so, so interesting. That's it's also so straight. Rep- That's also like, I feel like a very straight thing to do. You know, you'd be macho yeah. and sort of like fearless on yeah. the outside, but inside you just want to cry and they're just struggling not to cry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it was so, I, I loved it. I love getting to play that experience. That's great. Uh, and I, I felt there was part of it that I understood, but I, there was a process that I put myself through every morning, 96 days of this shoot. Wow. I had a, a process just to, to kind of drop in. And I tried to, even though I was friendly and interactive with people on set and things like that, I, I tried not to stray too far from that over the course of the filming day. Interesting. That is interesting. How, I mean, first off, I just kind of, I, I just, we need to praise Jonathan Bailey a little bit in this moment. Oh my gosh. The two of you together are like magnetic, but like also he's just sort of like this weird British force that just sort of came from an Island and all of a sudden now we're obsessed with him. So like what, <laughs> I mean, he really is like, he went from Bridgerton to being sort of like everything. Um, yeah. What, yeah. what was it? I mean, go ahead and praise Jonathan Bailey for me. Cause I need to hear it from you. I think <laughs> Johnny first and foremost is just a tremendous actor and so fun to get to work and collaborate with. He is, he's has so much energy and passion and, uh, you know, it, it, we we sat down when we started this job before before we started filming. We had coffee together. We had met on Zoom, um, but never in person. And I was <laughs> still thinking in my head, "Are we really going to do this stuff?" <laughs> and he was like, "We got this. We can do this." And and we just made a pact then and there that we were going to have each other's backs, nice. no matter what, because inevitably. Some of this stuff is going to be on hour 15 at two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. And people are going to be, there are going to be outside forces influencing you. And, but the only people doing anything in front of the camera are you and I. So we just had each other's back and we we were able to communicate really openly. And um, he's just a a dream scene partner, really. Um, And I felt like what he brought to the table in his Tim was so complimentary of what I was trying to do with my Hawk. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I think was so interesting about, (laughs) but for both of you, but for all the characters really is the, the expansion of time in this series is, is, I mean, it's not that long, but it's still so much happened. Four decades. I mean, so much happened in those four decades. And, and was that, I mean, I have a feeling the makeup artist was like, how am I going to make this dude look so old? You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like that's what I was thinking. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you have your own thoughts on that. But like what (laughs) what was was that intimidating the expansion of time and how because we changed so much over time, like how were you approaching sort of 
the the vast difference between 1950s you and then also 1980s queerness was very different in those years. Yeah, but not so different for Hawk as it was for others who were out there on the front lines. Mm. So yes, I had a process and, and I had these sort of mantras that I had for myself and, and physical uh, processes and choices that I made each decade in terms of where he was in his life. And obviously you have to build the whole backstory yeah. before you even start in the fifties. So you know that when you're doing fifties and eighties on the same day or fifties and seventies on the same day, you know where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's obviously a really daunting thing. I think I was really the beneficiary of, of working on Maestro right before I literally wrapped Maestro two weeks before I started the work on this. Oh, wow. And I had seen Bradley jump through decades and age and Carrie jump through decades and age age. And I thought, Oh wow. Like I'm not comparing myself to them at all as artists, but I thought, Oh, this is possible. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You can do this. Um, uh, and then once I saw the incredible work that our hair and makeup artists did on the show, I mean, it was Jordan Samuel and, and, and yeah. M- Michelle, uh, our, our hair artists, just the, the looks they gave us in each decade were so informative. Um, it just gave you the confidence to go out there and do your best. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the real treats to me too was, was getting to see, I never wanted to see Johnny in his new look until we were filming a scene in that decade. Yeah. Uh, Cause it was so great to get to see one of the real treats of filming. This was getting to see what he brought to Skippy in each decade of his life mm-hmm. and the life history he brought and the physical choices he was, he was making. What were the, I mean, this is such a, <laughs> this is a bit of a reductive question, but I'm very curious. What were the, your favorite decade of clothes to wear? Because I, I personally love the eighties moment. <laughs> <laughs> My like full eighties. Yes. I, I love it all. I mean, I have a feeling if I was like a young gay person in the eighties, I would be out there just thriving, just living, <laughs> just loving. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I really love the seventies. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's a plot twist. Really love, I really love Skippy in the seventies. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> I actually kept our amazing uh, costume designer, who was so fantastic and also a huge part of what gave us the confidence to to jump from decade to decade. He made um, custom underwear for me. Oh yeah. In the seventies, I remember him. And, he there did an interview about that. I think I read that. Yes. Did he? Has he yes. talked about it? Yes. Okay. Well, I hope it's not an old chestnut at this point, but. <laughs> I, I I kept those. He made custom um, swimsuits for me. I kept those. And there's something just so freeing about the Bacchanalian aspect of it all. Obviously, it's it's the rock bottom of Hawk's life. Yeah. But going from the super controlled conservative 50s mm-hmm. to the Bacchanalian freedom of the 70s just felt so good. I love that. I love that. Well, I just have two more questions for you. You brought up Maestro, um, which I have to admit that I'm I'm a huge fan of the Golden Girls. And every time I hear Maestro, I hear Dorothy Spornak because there's an episode where she goes Maestro. And I just that's that's the only thing I hear whenever I hear Maestro, which I'm so excited to watch the film, but I can't get Dorothy Spornak, B. Arthur, out of my head saying Maestro. Um, oh, my God. But why that, is there not a gay Golden Girls? Oh, isn't there? There's that like great community down in Florida that it, there's like some town in Florida where all these gay men have moved and like 
and then like totally revamp the town. Like, Oh, trust me. I'm in the golden girls world. I have a golden girls podcast. I have a golden girls tattoo. <laughs> I am like, I am in the gold. I, if you want to know something about the golden girls, I can tell you everything about the golden yes. girls. But oh I'll, my God. Well, I'll, I'll DM you on podcast. Instagram. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you'll, you'll get that stuff separately. When you do Danny's podcast, I'll pop in and tell you about that. Okay. Um, I love it. But maestro, so exciting. I mean, such a hotly anticipated film. Like we're talking like throw the Oscars at it moment, Oscar like moment. So what, what about Maestro made you so excited and what can you tell me about it? Because there's not much, I know you can't say much. I mean, I can say much because strikes over and the movie's coming out soon. And um, I had always been fascinated by Leonard Bernstein Mm -hmm. because to me, he was one of the few people I knew was gay yeah you know early on mm-hmm. um so i've been interested in him and his music obviously and his composing and mm-hmm. um so i got the opportunity to audition i auditioned for the role mm-hmm. and um it was a, a beautiful part i thought and um i met with bradley and then i was there on set and there was steven spielberg <laughs> it was just <laughs> all really overwhelming but um, it was, it was, a, a. I was really fortunate that all the correspondence between my character, David Oppenheim and Leonard Bernstein, a, a lot of their written correspondence over their whole life is on the library of Congress page. So I wrote out every letter, uh, that David wrote to Lenny over the years, mm. um, that pertained to the time period we were working in. And I would give a letter that was close to that time period to um, Bradley on yeah. the day, if it made sense to do so. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know, it just provided this really rich and beautiful backstory um, that I couldn't have come up with on my own. I don't think that's amazing. Also, Leonard Bernstein was kind of hot in a really uncomfortable way. <laughs> you know what I mean? By the way, totally into him. Yeah. There's something totally. I, I remember in college, I had conversations being like, He's not someone that you would see in the bar that you'd immediately go to, but I'd probably go to him for the story. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's <laughs> I think if I saw him conduct, I'd be lined up oh, at that stage door. Yes. Yeah. 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 You'd be throwing that custom underwear on the stage. That's probably what. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my last question for you is you, you have, I mean, you have many films come many projects in the works. And one of the things that I, I was struck by the projects you do have in the works is that so many of them have connections to, important aspects of queerness, important aspects Mm. of queer history, but also just queerness in general. And just, I mean, as a queer person, I'm very interested, but like, is that important to you to maybe not, of course, exclusively do that work, but find those stories that maybe you can be a part of that impacted you that perhaps you can tell a larger audience. Is that important to you? Yeah. And and I would, I would even venture to say educated me as well. Um, I'm not saying that that's exclusively the type of project I'm interested in in working in, but if it comes my way and I have the opportunity to help put it out there, absolutely. There's a, a a film about Lawrence versus Texas that I'm producing with Steven Soderbergh. That was a case, a Supreme court case. I knew nothing about fascinating. I had no idea that the sodomy laws in Texas where I grew up in my home County really weren't overturned until 2003. Yeah. Um, And so when that script came my way, I wanted to give it any opportunity that it, I could, I wanted to, I wanted to help it out in any way that I could. Yeah. And so thankfully Steven Soderbergh came on board and Amy Simons is going to direct it. So when things like that come my way and I, I'll always try my best to, to 
help out and put them out there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just an actor. Yeah. You know, uh, I went to conservatory. I thought I was going to do theater my whole life. I, you know, just had gotten really, I've had some really incredible people give me shots and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I just like to act, you yeah. know, if yeah. I can help out great, but I also just want to play great roles, but in a show like fellow travelers, I feel like it's just kind of the best of all worlds and it doesn't happen very often in a career in a career once if you're lucky. So I'm very thankful. That's awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with thank me. Thank you really so much. It. Allen. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll send you golden girl stuff, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't wait. Great. I love the golden girls. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your day. Hey, you too. Thank you so much. See, what did I tell you? He's just so nice to be nice and gorgeous. So lucky. He just won the lottery. Literally, he won the little God lottery. Oh, at least I'm funny, right? <laughs> anyway, I'm H. Allen Scott on everything. And leave a little rating and review wherever you're listening to this episode. It really does help me out. And for the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. And also subscribe to my newsletter for the culture. It's really fun. And again, thank you for listening. It's the season of thanks, Thanksgiving. And so I would like to give thanks to you for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. And it makes me very happy to bring you the things that make me very happy every single week. So thank you very much. And guess what? Have a great day and have a great holiday. Holiday.